all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for listening to Southern Remedy for Women this morning. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. That's the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And surgical pathologist Dr. Allie Brown is here. Our special guest is Dr. Kyle Lewis. He is an ophthalmologist at UMMC and specializes in ocul... ocul- oh, oh, my gosh. Where's the sound all over? I even practiced ocul... <laughs> Oculoplastics. Oculoplastics. Is that right? That's right. right. (laughs) And reconstructive surgery. So we are talking about oculoplastics, which you can probably figure out is plastic surgery of the eye. So good morning, Dr. Lewis. Thank you for being with us. Thank, Thank you, you, doctors. Other doctors in the room. Other good doctors. Morning. We've now we've now been the relegated others. to the others. Demoted. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you here. We, well, thank you. You're the first oculoplastic oh <laughs> doctor we've wow. had. Where's the sound? Well, thank you. Okay. So start no by... No ding there. She's getting no dings. No dings for Karen. Jay's working. Working on it. Okay, so let's start. Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? How you chose this field? Where you went to school? All that stuff. Sure, sure. Well, I, I thank you for let, letting me come today and speak, and it's a it's a pleasure and an honor. Uh, again, yeah, I do oculoplastic surgery at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Um, I am a native Mississippian. Grew up here in Jackson. Uh, lived here most of my life. Uh, went to University of Southern Mississippi for my undergraduate training, and then back to the University of Mississippi Medical Center for medical school and residency in ophthalmology. Uh, After that, we went on to uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to do a fellowship training in oculoplastic surgery. Uh, And then I rejoined the faculty here at University of Mississippi Medical Center. I never would have guessed you were from Mississippi. You don't have an accent. How come? I don't. I don't. My parents are from Miami, so I think that's probably where it went, but... Uh, never, never picked it up too bad. But I bet you could, you could have it if you wanted to, right? I can, I can pull it out yeah. on rare occasions for sure. <laughs> if you need it, that's uh, awesome. All right, so let's get to oculoplastics. Oh, good job, Karen. Thank she you. Did it. I have to keep yeah. She was going to keep saying it until she got it right. You realize that, right? This is something. Well, tell us what it is. Sure. Yeah. So most people don't know what oculoplastic surgery is unless you've actually had to see one for some reason, but. Uh, oculoplastic surgery is a kind of a unique specialty of ophthalmology where the uh, emphasis is on the tissues that support the eye, the, the structures around the eye, the eyelids, the eye socket, the tearing system, uh, and the surrounding face, uh, all the tissues that allow the eye to function and look better. Uh, and the, um, the surgical procedures include procedures to lift droopy eyelids, to uh, improve the appearance of eyelids, to uh, repair sagging lower eyelids or uh, problems with the eyelashes. It also involves uh, t- procedures to restore the 
shape and function of the eye socket and to remove cancers around the eye socket to repair traumas. And then another big part of it is to fix people with uh, tearing problems. So people that tear excessively uh, are also uh, people that we see. What would be a problem with eyelashes that would require surgery? So one, one common problem is the eyelashes actually growing in the wrong direction, growing in towards Ow. the eye. Yeah, it's Ooh. very, very you, He's making my eyes water just thinking about like it. an ingrown hair in your eyelash? That's, that's pretty much <gasps> what it is. Yeah. Oh, no. And, and even worse than that, sometimes the lower eyelid can actually turn in towards the eye, and, and all of the eyelashes are rubbing on the surface of the eye. It's extremely oh, uncomfortable. Sounds, yeah, that sounds painful. Yeah. <laughs> There's our bell. Jay agrees. <laughs> All right. It, Ow. What is the most common surgery that you do? Sure. Bags under the eyes, right? Yeah, bags uh, above and below the eye. Droopy eyelids are probably by far the most common thing that we do. That that and fixing lower eyelids that, are ten, that tend to sag away from the eye, causing problems with dry eye and problems with excessive tearing and that kind of thing. Just tightening up and restoring the, the kind of youthful appearance of the eyes. What are some of the um, reconstructive in terms of not necessarily cosmetic but needed eye surgery? Sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of times the the same surgeries and the same techniques are applied to people that have problems with their vision. So the purpose of the surgery would not be just to make them look better, but actually to improve the vision. Um, and, and this is something that insurance would, you, would usually cover is if the eyelid is drooping in such a way or, or, or severe enough that it's creating a problem with the patient's vision, then uh, we, we can do surgery to restore that and improve that. And that's where it's important to have an ophthalmologist that has the knowledge and, and expertise in the area of eye and eye surgery and eye function uh, to, to do that kind of surgery in order to restore the vision by it. So it's really kind of neat, I think, um, what you do. And I guess there's a little overlap between the general plastic surgeons or people who might go to a plastic surgeon who's who are getting like facelifts, et cetera, who might also want to have something done around their eyes. Sure. I think it's fascinating because it's such thin skin. It's like the thinnest skin on our bodies, isn't it? Yeah. Around that, around that area, very delicate. And so it's and I think that's really important because anytime people are considering you know, and and I think sometimes it may be less of a concern in a reconstructive uh, process as opposed to something that is purely cosmetic. But even people who are getting reconstruction want it to be cosmetically appealing. That's Absolutely. what everybody wants. It's on your face. People are going to look at look and at that. People and see look it at first. your eyes when they talk to you. Yeah. And and if it's just a little bit off, you know, if the skin like think about skin cancer. I mean, your your eyelids, all that skin is on your face. It's getting exposed to sunlight. You know, it. it so a small skin cancer of the corner of the eye getting that removed as opposed to one that's on your cheek or on your arm could have dire consequences for your symmetry, just the way you look. It could be yeah. extremely noticeable, right? Right, right. You're absolutely right. The first person, first thing people notice about you is probably your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, is this becoming more, um, are you finding that there's an increasing demand for these types of procedures um, now, I think it's becoming a little bit more acceptable in general and not quite because there used to be a little bit of a taboo around, you know, getting, quote, work done. And so um, but now I think, you know, people are living longer and are really kind of oftentimes trying to keep themselves with a, a fresher look. And it's amazing how just a little bit of makeup on your eyes can change your appearance. And so the work that you do can really contribute a lot to, you know, 
like brightening up, really brightening up the face. You brighten up the eyes. You can brighten up a person's like whole visage, really. Yeah. Well, the nice visage. Wow. I like that one. We me, always like to try to throw in a good little word. Before you answer, there. let me give the phone number out just to get the calls going. Call um, us about your visage. One eight seven seven MPB ring. One eight seven seven. 672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Now back to acceptance. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> acceptance and demand. <laughs> well, the, the nice thing about this kind of surgery is it can make a big difference for people without looking like you had surgery. Um, the scars hide very well around the eyes. And, and the goal of the surgery is really just to restore kind of a more youthful you and not really to make you look like somebody that's not you. Um, just makes you look like you're more rested, you're more awake, you're more alert. Um, and that's really a nice a nice look. And that really can change how people see you and how you feel about yourself. Yeah, definitely. If you look tired all the time, even though you're not, but for some reason your eyes are droopy and you look tired, people may make assumptions about you, you right, know, that... Right. You are tired, that you're sluggish. Your boss, you know, might not give you that raise until after you have, you know, your eyelids. Well, and you just said to keep looking like you look. And immediately I think of bad right, of eye course. surgery, Kenny that, Rogers. Well, the thing is, <laughs> Remember, Kenny all, Rogers all looks so good, surprised. Right. He doesn't well, look he doesn't anything look like, like Kenny Rogers. Look, but I no. think those stand out because it's obvious. It's all the people who are right. the majority that don't stand out. They just look good. Sure. And you don't think about all of those. Right, you don't see that. So what happened with Kenny Rogers? Was (laughs) that just bad surgery? You didn't do that, did you, Dr. Lewis? (laughs) No, I didn't do Kenny Rogers surgery. (laughs) But yeah, I think think somebody was a little aggressive on Kenny Rogers. Took too much skin away? Made made him look in in a way that wasn't wasn't Kenny Rogers. (laughs) Oh, we're looking at it right now. Bless you, Kenny. I just pulled it up. I did not realize. So I... You never heard about this? No, but I love Kenny Rogers. Who doesn't? Oh, yeah, really. And yeah, wow. That was just an example. There are plenty of others. No one to hold him. He is, <laughs> boy, he is wide-eyed. I know, now. and kind of his hooded eye was part of what he looked like. Right, I mean, you right. have to keep some of that, right? So, th- so there's a lot of subtleties that go into it, and that's why it's important to kind of know the anatomy very well and know what you're trying to achieve when you start to, to perform these surgeries. Um, you know, for instance, a, a, a male may want a little extra skin on the upper eyelid. Uh, or a little bit lower brow, you know, whereas a female yeah. may not want that. And so you have to kind of know those subtleties. That's true. Looking at that, it does have kind of a feminine aesthetic when he has this wider, brighter eye. A man tends to have a heavier brow. Mm-hmm. We're going to oh. take our first break of the hour. I'm going to get the phone number again. We're not taking Kenny Rogers' calls. We've already established what he looks like. But if you have a question about ophthalmology, specifically about operations that might... Uh, you mentioned te- you mentioned all kinds of categories, tears and lots. So the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline dot org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Up the window at the darkness, the boredom overtook us, and he began to speak. He said, son, I made my life. I'm reading people's faces and knowing. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
back on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, Dr. Ali Brown. And our special guest is Dr. Kyle Lewis, an ophthalmologist who specializes in oculoplastics and reconstructive surgery. We're going to the phones. Peggy calling in from Pascagoula. Hi, Peggy. Good morning. Good morning. What's your question? Well, I have a friend who just uh, had um, ocular surgery repair an earlier eyelid surgery that created a situation where her tear ducts didn't work and it was all pulled up in the bottom of her eyes and very uncomfortable. But her repair has been very successful. Um, But she had a skin graft from the roof of her mouth to um, complete this repair surgery. Is Is that normally a part of this type of surgery? Sure, yeah, it certainly can be. Um, sometimes the lower lid may be retracted for whatever reason. I, I assume she had lower eyelid surgery? Yes. Yeah, so if, if there's some retraction in the lower eyelid, then we may have to boost the lower eyelid up to, to return it back to its normal position on the eye. Uh, uh-huh. And we can use grafts for that. We can use grafts from the roof of the mouth or from cartilage from the ear or from the inside of the nose or, or there's other materials that can be used for that too so yeah that's not a not an uncommon graft to be used is she doing okay now peggy she's doing great it is just uh, it's like a miracle oh she's just so happy and so beautiful oh that's great awesome we're happy to hear that thank you so much for your phone call peggy and no more tears pooling yeah Yeah. that's the really nice thing about it is is it can make a big difference for people in, in just a short period of time and that's that's really kind of what I love love about it, you know. So how do people know when? Okay, so we were talking about getting rid of the bags out from under your eyes. Um, how bad does it have to be in order to get it done? Like, when do you know that it's like time for you to consider surgery as an option? When do you stop using cucumbers and preparation H <laughs> and all these other <laughs> random things that help to tighten up the bottom, the skin underneath there? Sure. When, when is surgery the, the thing to consider? Well, I mean, it's totally up to the individual and it's very subjective. Um, you know, those those types of things that you mentioned, the creams and Preparation H and and those kind of things may work a little bit, but they're going to be temporary solutions and it's not going to be a permanent fix. So, um, you know, it's really subjective and up to the individual. The, um, you know, you'd want to consult with a surgeon about it and see if that is a surgical problem or if there may be some edema there that may be not treated with surgery and may be a sign of uh, underlying medical problems like thyroid eye disease related to Mm -hmm. hyperthyroidism. Uh, or, or, you know, renal dysfunction or, or something or allergies, something like that. So what is the procedure for under eye, you know, getting rid of the bags? And is that blood under there that makes the makes the dark, you know, it makes it look darker? Well, dark circles can be a combination of things. The skin is very, very thin. So it, it shows the underlying blood vessels and edema very easily. Uh, most commonly bags under the eyes are related to the fatty tissue behind the eye just prolapsing forward into the eyelid. Uh, it just gives you those bags and bulges under the eyelids, and those are a surgical surgical problem. They're, they're 
uh, surgical fix. So like we, liposuction for your eyeball? Uh, sort of, yeah. <laughs> you're sucking it out? Is that what you're doing? Well, we're, we're removing it, yeah. yeah. No, sucking it out. Go that? ahead, say that. Do you sucking need it they out. snip it out. They cut it out. Uh, do you need that fat? Is you it don't in the need cushion? all of it. No. <laughs> is that going to leave a scar? So there's different ways to do it. Um, one way is behind the eyelid where we can leave and make an incision behind the eyelid where there's no visible scar. Uh, the other way is is to do it from the front of the eyelid where we make an incision just underneath the eyelash as it tends to hide really well there. And the advantage to that is you can also remove a little bit of extra skin at the same time if you want to tighten things up a little bit. Let me give the phone number out before we continue. If you want to give us a call, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at women. That's plural, women at mpbonline.org. Not so women. So you can get liposuction and an eye tuck. But also, <laughs> sometimes people want to have volume put into their under eye, right? I mean, exactly. some people want the opposite exactly. thing. So yeah. why, why do some people want it taken out and some people want it put in? Well, it all depends on where the volume is. Um, you know, most people have a little bit of a bag as we age and, and, and the bag can create shadows under the eye and the, the shadows can be either filled with, uh, you know, like dermal filler, injectable fillers uh, to decrease that shadow or the bag can be removed to, in order to reduce the, the, the bag and, and reduce the shadow next to it. Um, some people don't have much of a bag and they just want a little extra filler in the in the shadow and in the creases and things like that. And injectable fillers are a good a good solution for that, um, both in filling, you know, the tissues around the eye. The tear trough is a common place where people get a little shadow that may need to be filled in order to kind of give a more rejuvenated appearance to the eyes. Uh, the cheeks sometimes are filled just to uh, re- improve the volume of the cheeks and sometimes around the brow and the, the nasolabial folds, which are the folds between the, the tip of the nose and the corners of the mouth. Um, so there's lots of lots of areas and lots of uh, reasons why people might have the injectable fillers done. And since the skin is so thin there and there are all the blood vessels, what's the recovery like from these types of procedures? I mean, you must get pretty swollen, right? You can. I mean, from the surgical procedures, obviously, you're going to get more swollen, more bruising than from an in-office injectable procedure with Botox or filler or something like that. But uh, any of those any of those things can give you bruising, and bruising, of course, can take a couple of weeks to go away. But uh, typically, the in-office injectables are much much easier to recover from, and there's really not much downtime with those. Are the surgeries all inpatient? Most of the surgeries are outpatient. Some outpatient. of them are done in the office. Some of them are done under anesthesia. Uh, they, they, you know, most of them are pretty short, within an hour or so, and uh, recovery takes a couple weeks. You know, take it easy for a week and just rest. And like I said, the bruising and swelling usually goes away in a couple weeks or so. So when you talk about anesthesia, let's let's go into that. So um, sometimes there are procedures that can be performed on um, on the eyes, and the person needs to be like they're really they're awake mm-hmm. right like That's you can correct. operate on somebody's right. eye while they're still awake right which actually kind of freaks me out just thinking about it but that's pretty cool i think that's cool that you can be awake and aware but still at the same time not and you can't help but look at it i mean it kind of freaks me out <laughs> i guess i remember so. on my ophthalmology rotation they use like a little rake to like move the Eyeball, kind of. Oh my and god! I was like, <laughs> you just scared oh, everybody. Oh, so like, okay, so now I can do an back. autopsy, but like when it came to like touching somebody's eye, I was like, oh, that's yeah, because we're always told don't you don't, don't touch put your something eye. in your eye, right. right? You don't want and that's unless you're like Dr. One of those Lewis. Places you don't <laughs> want things in your eye. Like, don't touch your eyeball. Don't put your fingers there. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. So when you are performing, and this is 
blepharoplasty, right, which is the the doctor term for the bag removal concept. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, When you're doing that, can you tell us a little bit about, like, what the procedure entails, what you do, and then um, I think Allie briefly mentioned recovery, but what people could expect, since that's kind of one of the more common procedures. Sure. Um, Are they asleep or awake? Well, a lot of times they're sort of awake. Um, awake You know, if we do it in the office, they're they're awake, but it's usually not not bad at all. They're pretty comfortable. Um, in, In the operating room, we usually give a little IV sedation, so it's kind of like what we call twilight anesthesia, um, where they're, they're very comfortable and relaxed and maybe sleeping, but they're not under general anesthesia, and there's no, there's no tube down their throat, and uh, you know they wake up quickly afterwards, and it's an easy recovery from that. But they're very comfortable during the surgery. And the nice thing about this kind of surgery is that the eyes are actually closed for the surgery mm-hmm. um, because we're working on the outside of the eyelid, not, not on the eye So there's itself. no sticking a needle in your eye? There's no sticking the needle in Good the eye. Good to know. That's right. Very important. Yeah. There you go. Um, so it's it's fairly comfortable and fairly easy. There are some surgeries where actually, you know, if we're lifting an eyelid, we want them to sit up and we want to have them open their eyes because so they're, they're you know you're awake at that point so that we can check it and make sure that we've got it where we want it, you know, and set it set the eyelid where we want it to be and everything's symmetric. So there's that, but most of the time they're they're sedated lightly and and the eyes are closed and they're very comfortable. We're going to go to the phones. Amy is calling in from Meridian. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. I think you just answered my question. I wanted to know um, about the anesthetic that is used. And um, I think you just answered that. Is, is that also for the puffiness and the dark circles under the eye? Uh, sure. If, if there's any kind of eye surgery, that's kind of how we do the anesthesia. Um, like I was saying earlier, there's some things that we can do in the office to reduce those circles and uh, shadows around the eye, um, which you, you would be awake. We would do a little topical anesthesia so that you wouldn't feel it as much. And well, what's that? What are those things? Uh, like injectable fillers <laughs> oh, okay. and Botox and things like that to reduce the, the uh, shadows and, and dark areas around the eyes and wrinkles around the eyes and those kind of things. So, yeah. Okay. Speaking of Botox, I had a friend who had this done and she ended up with a black eye. Sure. What, what, what happened? Yeah, well, you know, Not that's supposed to happen, but it did. It usually does, and thankfully, <laughs> but it can sometimes, and that's unfortunately one of the most common side effects of giving inject- injections, either fillers or Botox. But, um, you know, it's sometimes hard to see the little tiny blood vessels that are under the eye, and uh, occasionally they'll get nicked with a, with one of the injections, and it can it can produce some bruising or even a black eye. So, unfortunately, that can happen sometimes. But Okay, next, next question. Sure. Um, lifting the eyelid that's down over the pupil of the eye. Is this also um, a, not a general anesthetic, but just a numbing? That's right. Yeah, that, that okay. when the when the eyelid is so low, we call it ptosis, um, where the mm-hmm. eyelid is drooping down to cover the pupil. Uh, and and in a ptosis repair, we do kind of sedation, but that's that's the procedure that I was referring to. That you're actually awake in the middle of it, uh, okay. and we have, right. you, have you sit up so we can check it. Yeah, good question. Thank right. you, what Amy. About being, what about being 79 and having all this done? Oh, that's that's prime age for all this. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> You've earned it, Amy. Thank Amy. you for your call. Come Amy. see Dr. Lewis. Come on. <laughs> what if someone has an orbital injury? Do you take care of that in surgery? I do. Yeah. So that, that's a common place to be injured. Um, we call it a blowout fracture, typically when someone's uh, suffered Doesn't an injury. Doesn't that sound or, terrible? Yeah, it does. Yeah. A blowout fracture. Give some examples of how someone sure. might have that injured. So that's a common common fracture when someone's hit in the eye. Um, the, the bones are, are very shallow, very thin, and they break easily. So it's kind of a protective mechanism, actually. 
if, if the bones didn't break, then the eye would by itself would absorb all that impact um, and create more problems for the eye. So, uh, and they're they're fairly easily fixed under general anesthesia. You're actually. Putting the bones back together? No, we actually just cover the defect in the bone. Uh, so we, we cover the hole so that the tissue in the eye socket doesn't slip down into the into the fracture and cause the eye to kind of sink back into the eye socket. So, um, Karen is gross. I am. I'm really. Well, now she's like got the heebie-jeebies. To have the eye absorbed <laughs> into the bones. I don't know. It sounds well, like it a horror it, movie. It sort of sinks down, right? You get a kind of an it, asymmetric. It can. Look. It can sink backwards if the fracture is big enough. Yeah. But fortunately, a lot of these fractures are fairly small and, and don't cause that kind of problems. Cosmetically, you said that people do the under their eyes and above their eyes. That's right. And if it's a serious problem, what's most common for you to do? Uh, well, you know, what kind of surgery? I mean, what's what's the most more common reconstructive? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of those a lot of those same kind of problems with the eyelids can be um, what we would consider functional problems where they're they're interrupting the function of the eye uh, or the vision. But other kinds of things that we would do would be tearing problems. People that have blocked tear ducts that cause excessive tearing and the that required surgery constantly running down the face so there's a lot of different reasons for that and some of those do require surgery right we sometimes have to do a bypass procedure called a dcr uh, in order to reroute the tear duct and and get the tears to drain properly um, but there's other reasons that people might tear and it really requires an in-office kind of visit and exam and uh, some some tests to figure out which one is causing the the tearing. Yeah, people don't realize the issues about eyes and tearing eyes isn't just about the tear production, but it's about it draining. So even if you're making the right amount, but the drain is clogged. But you just said you reroute the reroute. Does that mean tiny that thing. means you cry on your mouth, oh, your Karen. nose? <laughs> no, the draining. No, we just okay. make it make it make it be the way it's supposed to be. Where so where does it drain usually? It drains into the nose normally, and we're just putting so it cry, into the nose a different way. Which is yeah. why when you cry, your nose runs. Yeah. 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 And then you get that ugly, you know, your nose gets red and swollen. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. We're we'll taking a that. break. And <laughs> the ugly cry. <laughs> the ugly cry, indeed. If you want to give us a call, we invite you to do that at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. If you're wondering why you're hearing that song... It's because our guest is Dr. Kyle Lewis. He is an ophthalmologist at UMMC and specializes in oculoplastics and reconstructive surgery. And our phone lines are starting to ring more than one at a time. So, Trish, let's go right to you calling from Oxford. 
Yes. Um, I was just wondering, how do you find a surgeon that specializes in the blepharoplasty? Well, good question. Uh, well, you have one right here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, there, there are a lot of surgeons that do blepharoplasty, from plastic surgeons to oral surgeons to ophthalmologists. Um, and, and I think there are many out there that do a good job. And sometimes it's hard to tell which ones are going to do a good job and which ones are not. Um, I, I, I would say as far as oculoplastic surgery, we, we are ophthalmologists first, so we do have a good a good respect for the eye and we're not we don't tend to be too aggressive because we want to preserve the function of the eye first and we also have some some expert level training in in this area and in the anatomy of the area so i don't think that you can go wrong with an oculoplastic surgeon but there there are also many other surgeons many plastic surgeons that i would say do a fantastic job uh, and ent surgeons as well do do this kind of surgery too and do a fantastic job so Thank you, Trish. Appreciate uh, your call. One one of the things that I think might also be helpful, um, if you could talk a little bit about um, whether or not, like the the importance of like board certification and those kinds of things, which um, patients can sometimes use to kind of help figure out at least what kinds of processes, because nobody asks us what our grades were in medical school, right? And but they can at least figure out what kind of processes um, their doctors may have gone through, or what kind of additional certifications that they have because there is somewhat of a difference out there and that may be something that they could use to help figure yeah. out who they want to go see so so in my world that type of certification is, is by the uh, american society of ophthalmic plastic reconstructive surgeons so we call it asoppers you call it what asop <laughs> asoppers asoppers uh, which is yeah it's it's uh <laughs> that's long so if, if you're like a motorcycle is, club <laughs> right <laughs> If your surgeon's a member of Ace Hoppers, then you can pretty much rest assured that they've been well trained and, and will do a good job for yeah. you. Yeah. And but board certification is kind of one of those things that you can use to kind of tell that at least if they've gone through board certification, there's been some kind of standardized process that that physician or surgeon has gone through where they've been judged by their peers to have met a minimum standard of um, knowledge and practice. And so that's also um, a, another good thing that you can use if you're looking for a physician. That's a question that uh, I think is worth asking. Jimmy calling in from Greenville. Hi, Jimmy. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Hello, Jimmy. Yes. Hey. Um, all right. Uh, first, uh, I've got an aunt that's in a nursing home in Missouri, and uh, she's seen periodically, or periodically optometrists to diagnose her as having cataracts. However, nobody did anything to remove and they're pretty advanced now, and she's 93 years old. Um, is there still a possibility of her getting a cataract removed and regaining her eyesight? Well, uh, that's a hard question to answer on the radio. The, the cataract surgery is, is very common, as you know, and it's, it's fairly safe, uh, quick outpatient procedure. So, you know, I, I right. would talk, I would talk to an ophthalmologist and, and have them look at the eye and, assess kind of her general medical condition as to whether she's, you know, right. safe. Because and they keep telling me, well, she's happy. And I'm saying, well, if a person has a chance to regain their eyesight, I would say that they were happy. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jimmy. Sure. Uh -huh. Can we talk about twitches? Absolutely. Is there something surgically that can be done if your eye is twitching all the time? 
Well, there are, but typically what we would do for twitches would be um, Botox first. Um, Botox is uh, botulinum toxin. It's good for relieving muscle spasms and weakening muscles to improve wrinkles, but it also is commonly used for twitches. Um, what would cause a twitch or, or muscle spasm in your eye? Well, there's different things, and sometimes it's as simple as just stress and caffeine and not getting enough sleep, and you know, students may get a twitch under their eye for when an exam is coming up or... <laughs> Uh, you know, but other other things that can cause that there's a there's a problem called blepharospasm, benign essential blepharospasm, where the eyes blink and and squeeze uncontrollably. Uh, that is commonly treated with Botox. Uh, Botox relieves those muscles, allows them to open their eyes fully, and uh, keeps them from having that very uncomfortable spasm and and contraction of the muscles around the eyes. Uh, which can be visually debilitating. It can create problems with driving and, and that kind of thing when you can't open your eyes. So uh, Botox has really been a big help for that. There's, there are surgical procedures for that, but they're, they're fairly involved and unnecessary in most cases. Yeah, since Botox is so easy, relatively inexpensive, sure. I right, guess. Right, right. So we have a lot of patients that have that, have that, that come in regularly for, for just repeat Botox injections, and, and it works very well. And they have no wrinkles, too. And that's a, that's a nice. <laughs> I guess nice you have to do both bonus. sides, otherwise they don't right, look the same. Right. <laughs> and you um, mentioned earlier you're talking about ptosis. I think when we had somebody who called in who talked about like the lid lagging over the eye. Um, and during the break, we were also talking about Bell's palsy, um, you know, which is a facial nerve paralysis, and it's something that I see a lot in our pregnant patients, but um, it can occur at any time. Um, yeah, you know, I deal mostly with women, so I see it in women all the time. Um, but there are some people who will get full resolution of their symptoms. So they'll have this temporary um, paralysis, and then eventually it can resolve. And I think over the past 20 years, we've gotten a little bit more aggressive with medical treatment, whereas before we just used to say, ah, oh, we'll just watch it, You'll, it'll eventually go away. Um, but there are some people who, for whom it does not entirely resolve. And so there are about a third of patients who will have some residual um, deficits even after they've gotten through their acute phase of Bell's palsy. So for those people who still have like some eye effects that they and and usually what happens is the people to whom it happens they can see it much more than anybody else Um, but there may be some um, residual lid lag from bell's palsy do you guys fix that is there is is surgery an option for those people um and what kind of things would you offer a person say for example who has had some residual um, deficits from Bell's palsy. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. And and just like in uh, facial palsy or Bell's palsy and ptosis, uh, you, the important first thing is to make sure that that is what you're dealing with, that it is just true ptosis or regular, you know, age-related ptosis or, or it is true Bell's palsy and not some, because there's some underlying medical problems that can 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 create a severe uh, or can be very severe and life-threatening um, in those cases that we need to rule out. But if that's what it is, and Annabelle's palsy, like you said, will, will usually resolve in, in most cases. But in, in those cases that don't resolve or in, the, or in a traumatic case or some other problem that's caused the facial nerve palsy, then we do have to do some, some things around the eyes to protect the eye. Um, the biggest thing is to keep the eye lubricated. 
Um, because if the eyelid is, if the facial nerve is weak from a Bell's palsy, then the eye doesn't close completely. Um, and then the eye can dry out very easily. So the first step is to lubricate the eye frequently with, with tear drops and with artificial tear ointments and things like that. And, and, to, you know, pay attention to your environment, make sure there's no air blowing on your eye or, or ceiling fans, things like that. Um, but then the next steps are to, to do, if we're sure that the facial nerve is not going to recover, we can do things to uh, help the eye close better, like put weights inside the upper eyelid to help it close completely. Is that a thing? It is. It's a very weights. common thing. And they're yeah. gold, right? <laughs> they're gold or platinum. I usually Ooh. make my patients go platinum. But, <laughs> well, of course. Uh, Only the best. Your That's eye right. grill. That's yeah. right. Why? Is it because it's heavier? Or? Uh, platinum has a little bit less reactivity than some people are allergic to gold. Both of them are pretty are fairly inert and do well, yeah. but uh, occasionally I have a patient that has reacted to gold in the past or had an allergy, so I just use platinum. Oh, I'd hate to be allergic to gold. How much time would have to pass before you knew that it was not going to resolve itself? Well, it depends on what shape the eye is in. Um, if the eye is drying out very quickly and, and it's causing problems with the cornea, then we tend to act more quickly. Um, or if the facial nerve was caused by a trauma or a surgery that we knew that the nerve was not going to come back, then we'd act more quickly. Uh, but usually a Bell's palsy, if it's not, if the cornea is okay and it's not back within three to six months, we'd probably think about doing some surgery to improve the function of the eye. Hmm. I think that's pretty neat. That's just, it's something that it's a little bit more common, I think, in, um, well, it probably is not more common than bags under your eyes, but at the same time, that's something that I know a lot of people struggle with. And for people who don't have complete resolution, there are a lot of, they, there's a lot of concerns, I think, individually about how they feel about the the residual deficits and not really feeling like their face is fully back or they feel like everybody's aware of, you know, the the lid lag or the uneven smiles and things like that that people are concerned about. And so knowing that there are some surgical options, I think, is, is helpful. Yeah. We're going to take our last break of the show, so if you'd like to give us a call, now's the time. Call now before time runs out at 1-877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or you can still send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. What? No songs about eyes? Jay's falling down the job. We're listening. We're listening. No, you're, you're listening, listening to Southern Remedy for Women. <laughs> we're listening it's, it's for an eye song. Our Dr. Topic, soothing voice yeah. is putting. We're looking for an eye song because our topic is uh, oculopath. <laughs> there I go again. Oculoplastics. <laughs> 
reconstructive surgery on your eye. Our guest is Dr. Kyle Lewis. He is an ophthalmologist. We're going to go straight to the phone and say hi to Melissa calling in from Biloxi. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Um, hope I can get some information here that might be helpful. Sure. Um, I have an oddball sort of situation. I started having problems with my right eye watering last summer. Uh, the ophthalmologist I, th- I saw said, oh, your eyes are very dry and your eye is, is overreacting and producing too many tears. So she gave me cysteine, which I used for quite a while, which really didn't do anything. Uh, went back a couple of months ago, um, six weeks ago, and got um, restasis. And I uh, began to notice after a couple of weeks that, well, uh, one of the things I had mentioned to her was that there was a kind of an odd feeling in the corner of my eye. It felt sort of congested, and I would press on it. So um, uh, what happened is I tended, they got worse after a couple of weeks of the restasis, and they ended up with a little, it felt like a little, almost a small BB under the skin in the area of the very corner of my eye. Um, and the doctor said, well, it's too high for your tear duct. I thought I had a blocked tear duct. She said, it's a lacrimal sac. Maybe you have a cyst or something. And she poked it a few times and gave me some doxycycline and said, continue with the restasis, which seemed to make it worse. Uh, and what I have realized since then that is that when I, this just bizarre, when I uh, push up on the skin above the corner of the eye there, that little area was flooded with tears and the little the little swelling goes down. Also, when I lie on the other side, my left side at night, the the tears seem to drain out of that area and it's no longer a little swollen um, mm-hmm. area. And plus, I'm I'm having still having the eyes watering a lot. And I do have an appointment with a different ophthalmologist. But, um, but it, it seems to me there's something functional going on with sure. the way the, the lacrimal sac is maybe draining into the eye. Okay, that's, that's a lot of information, so I think the doctor can address that. Sure. Yeah, no, that that's, you know, that's not an uncommon presentation. And what you're finding out is that tearing can be fairly complicated and, and multifactorial as well, and you may have a couple of different issues going on. But it does sound to me like you may have a blockage in your, in your tear duct, um, creating that little lump in the inner corner of your eye, which can create some pooling of tears and some kind of reflux of uh, material into the eye. Uh, you may also have some dry eye going on as well, and it's and it's kind of hard to work through these. Um, you really need to need to see see you in the office and and kind of work through each of those different problems to to figure out which one is uh, causing all those issues for you. Um, and and it may be that we have to try different things or, or you know different things at the same time. Um, uh, tearing is one of the most common. Uh, dr- excuse me, dry eye is one of the most common causes of tearing, uh, and that's kind of hard to to for people to understand because why is my eye dry if it's wet all the time? You know, is what I hear all the time. But uh, it's a it, dry eye can elicit a reflex where the eye waters more frequently in order to try and uh, you know not be dry, and so you may get some overflow tears whenever you're in a situation where the eye is becoming more dry or in the wind or, or in an irritating environment. Um, but the, the tear duct and the tear duct blockage is, it sounds like another issue for you and may need to be addressed and it may need, may need to be surgically addressed. Melissa, we wish you the best. Thank you so much for your call. Before we go to the next call, and this will be really quick, it will take no time at all. Do we all sleep with our eyes 
open partially? Some people do. Not not Just everybody, some? but some people do. And and usually those people come in complaining of tearing and dry eye because they sleep under ceiling fans. And yeah, that's exactly what I was, why I was asking. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> when, I, when the fan's off, no problem when the fan's on. All right. Hi, Cindy in Madison. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. What's your question? Yes, um, I was just curious. I have had Botox twice, and this is just me playing doctor on myself, but wondering, I have, and it kind of scared me, uh, made this connection myself that both times about a week later, I had uh, what my eye doctor had called optical migraines. Is that normal? Is that what causes that? Well, I'm not sure that that would be related to your Botox. It's hard to say. It's interesting that it's happened each time after after you've received the Botox. Um, ocular migraines are, are due to more vasospasms in the occipital cortex uh, in, in the brain, which which can cause those kind of uh, visual phenomenon, funny colors and shapes and patterns that you might see in, in your vision. Um, Botox around the eyes really shouldn't shouldn't cause that. Shouldn't cause that. Right. I, I just thought that was kind of weird that um, and uh, the the doctor that had done the Botox had said, you know, it'd be interesting just to you know, try it a third time and see if it happens again. But I, don't, I yeah, didn't know well. if... <laughs> third time's the charm. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, just but you're thinking not. Probably. I wouldn't think so. No. Yeah, physiologically, that the Botox is pretty local there in the muscle. It's not really working right. on a blood vessel. It's working actually on the actual muscle fibers themselves. Right. And when you're talking about um, the migraines, like there are definitely migraines that can be caused from mus- mus- muscle spasm, muscles in the face from the temporal region. But when you're talking about the concept of migraines that originate like the occipital cortex converges in the back of our heads and so things that happen or put pressure in the posterior most dependent part of our brains can sometimes give you ocular or visual manifestations but i just think that's kind of a unique concept that they would think that it the thought of it potentially being related to something locally well, when Cindy, it seems we like hope. Botox is going, it would do exactly the opposite, the opposite as, as opposed to potentiating. We hope you figure symptoms. out what's causing it, Cindy, and your migraines go away. <laughs> Thank you for calling. Um, Ooh, a couple of things. So one of the neat things that we've started doing is asking uh, our guests of uh, some of the strange tales or one of the some interesting things that they may have seen in the office that they could share on the radio. Yes, that's appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Something <laughs> an interesting I, thing that, that you may have seen. Really yeah. unusual. Just to give you a, unusual. Just to give you an example, we had someone who talked about a. What was the thing with teeth? <laughs> oh, the teratoma. They said something about a, a, a teratoma yeah, of the ovary having teratoma. teeth and hair. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's just Karen an example. Karen will never get over it. No, yeah. I won't. She's, I'm yeah, traumatized. Clearly scarred. So something that you've seen is like, whoa. <laughs> well, yeah, neat or fascinating. Lots of neat stuff, I'm sure, that comes your sure. way. Sure. Well, we have a lot of fun in the office. We, we usually, I could tell you about some fun things that we've had. <laughs> I don't know about interesting. We definitely see some interesting medical things and a lot of, a lot of rare tumors and rare diseases and 
complicated pathology um, in our in our office procedure room. We have a lot of fun, and we usually joke around a lot while we're while we're working with patients and things. And we we have had family members in the room occasionally just to be with the patient. And we had one family member we were looking up, and the the family member was just dancing to the to the music on the radio, just tearing it up across the room while we were operating. <laughs> while you're operating, yeah. they're just hanging out, having a... So Did you then like, hire them for in-office entertainment? That's right. We should, we well, I need someone it. dancing in the operating room every time. That would be nice. That so be what, nice. Um, if for our, the people who are listening, what are like things that are considered good eye hygiene? Like how can, we talked about things that you do surgically to correct things. How might people protect themselves against, say for example, bags right. around their eyes or what kinds of things keep people out of your office? That's a great question because that's that's mm-hmm. what most people are, are wanting to know and mm-hmm. are interested in. So uh, as far as, as good hygiene around the eyes or, or kind of preserving the, the appearance of the eyes, the, the biggest thing is, is good skin care, um, both in preserve, you know, limiting UV damage, wearing sunscreen, wearing moisturizers. Um, those kind of things are, are really good uh, care for the skin. Occasionally we can, you know, restore sun-damaged skin with lasers or chemical peels and things like that. But outside of the office, really good, using good moisturizers. Um, there's good moisturizers out there with hyaluronic acid, the same stuff that's in injectable fillers. But, you know, it's not absorbed like the fillers are, so it kind of stays more What kind of acid are we looking for? Hyal- 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 I can't even <laughs> no, say it. No, we can't say it. He's on the spot. <laughs> that hyaluronic right. acid. Hyaluronic acid. Um, it's, uh, like I said, the same product that's in injectable fillers, but it's uh, in, in a lot of creams. Um, retinol or vitamin A is another good product uh, or ingredient to look for. It can be a little bit irritating to the skin, so you may want to start out slow with that, but that can restore some of the, uh, repair some of the sun damage and also increase the collagen production in the skin, which can thicken the skin a little bit and give it a little more youthful appearance. Um, and then just a good good moisturizer. And a lot of those things, a lot of products out there will combine all of those into one product and, and you can wear the, the sunscreen, the moisturizer, the vitamin A, uh, all, all out of the product. same bottle. So yeah. All those, right. Those are good to do. Well, awesome. that ends our show. Dr. Kyle Lewis, thank you so much for coming in. Sure, really interesting. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show is engineered by Jay White. Our call screener is Java Chapman, perhaps. Michelle McAdoo, actually. For Dr. Michelle Owens and for Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And stay tuned because Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.